0: Well, take your Bibles tonight and go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 1, Ephesians chapter number 1. We've been doing the book of Ephesians in, uh, in the Bible study on Monday nights, and you know, there was a, there's a practical introduction to the book of Ephesians, like a practical overview, I should say, of the book of Ephesians that has helped me in my Christian life. I remember when I was uh, I was in Bible college, and I was I was told to uh, to get a a small book, and uh, I've I've since um, loaned it out to some some different people and stuff like that. But uh, it was a book that helped me out early in my Christian life, and uh, the longer the longer that we try to serve the Lord, uh, I think the, uh, the most important thing is sometimes that you just make sure that you're really fundamentally sound in your Christianity, right? Uh, and there's some principles here um, that is found in the book of Ephesians, and they were, and they were done in great detail by, a, by a, uh, a man by the name of Watchman Nee. And Watchman Nee uh, was a Chinese uh, preacher, and uh, he wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And um, uh, some of you have heard of that book before, some of you have not. But either way, I, wanna, I just want to kind of go through a couple things here tonight. I won't try to redo his work. I'll just try to make it more practical and put my own little spin on it. But either way, I think that it's a real help and a blessing. Um, I know it was to me, and hopefully it'll be to you here tonight. And it'll also set up for, you know, the Monday Night Bible Studies and that kind of thing. So go to, your, uh, go to Ephesians. We'll go to chapter 2 to start off with. How about that? Chapter 2. And uh, let's start in verse number, let's see here, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, excuse me, even though we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you so much for being good to us. Thank you, Father, for all that have come out here tonight. I pray, Lord, that the things that are brought out tonight from the Bible would be a help to all that have come. Father, I pray that you'd get me out of the way. And, Father, that you'd calm me and help me, Lord, to say exactly what it is you want to uh, say tonight. And, Father, I ask, Lord, that uh, your word, Lord, would just go forth uh, in a way that's understandable, in a way that's helpful, in a way that's memorable in the sense of it won't leave us The truth that is brought out wouldn't leave us so soon, but it would find a dwelling place in our hearts and do something for us, God. I know it's helped me, and so I pray, Lord, that it would help these that are here. Though it may be basic, I pray, Lord, that it would be good. And, Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, what you've done and uh, what you continue to do. Pray again you'd be with our pastor and his wife as they're traveling, get some uh, rest and relaxation. Pray you just bless that and uh, bless all that are out here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter number two uh, is telling us here, and there's a reoccurring theme in Ephesians, and that is this destination called the heavenly places. It's not something that's mentioned a ton in your Bible, but it's mentioned a few times here in the book of Ephesians. And uh, I don't know about you, but I know that in the Christian life, sometimes, uh, especially, it's it's not so much when you first get saved, but it's almost like... When you're in it for a little while, what ends up happening is, is we feel like there's this pressure to do some things and to uh, perform in a certain way. Or sometimes we have we have uh, different expectations of where we should be, or or we don't have a metric to kind of tell us are we where we're supposed to be or not. Does that make sense? We were talking, I was talking to somebody today and we were talking about managing people's expectations when it comes to training or when it comes to different things like that. And the thing that I was telling uh, this, this lady was that basically the, the important thing to do when you're training somebody is to, is to give them kind of the, the, the long view, but then also give them a short view to where they can monitor their progress. You know what I'm saying? Because if, what ends up happening is if somebody will get it in their head, right? And they'll say, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to do this. And in doing this, I want to become this out there, right? And that, that out there may be a great thing. And in their mind, that's what they're going to be, okay? I'll give you a, a detailed example, right? I want to be, uh, I wanna be a, a, an Olympian. Somebody says, somebody's like, you know what? I want to be an Olympic swimmer, <laughs> Right? I want, to be, I want to be the next uh, uh, Phelps, or was it Michael Phelps, or David Phelps, or whatever, whatever one he is, right? I want to be that guy, right? Well, you may not, you may not know, you may, you may be able to swim a little bit, but you may not you know, understand just exactly what it takes to be an Olympic swimmer. And so what'll happen is, is that you'll start, you'll start the training process and you'll get six months into the training process and you'll realize it's a whole lot harder to become an Olympic swimmer than what I thought, right? And what'll happen is, is if all you have is the end goal, that's way out there, undoubtedly when things get really, really difficult and you realize that the return on what you're investing is way out there, you'll realize, and you'll just kind of quit, That's what happens a lot in Christianity too, right? And I feel like sometimes Christians, they get to this place where I'm saved, I've been in church a little while, and I feel like I should be whatever. Does that make sense? Anybody ever been there before? I've been there before. I wonder if I'm where I'm supposed to be in my Christian life right now. I don't know. And, and, and we put these expectations on ourselves. But the thing is, is as a trainee, sometimes you really don't know what to expect. I was talking to my trainer today and I said, I said, I want to know what's a realistic expectation for me <clears throat> a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now. What is it that you want to see me do? What is it? What should I expect in six months? And then I said, "Well, I have a goal of this," and I I told her my goal. She says, "That's an unrealistic goal for the time frame in which you're thinking about." right? And so what is it? It's managing expectations. And it's the same thing in your Christian life. If you don't know how to biblically manage your expectations, you will become frustrated in your Christian life. Something will get you out of joint. Something will happen. You're going to get, you know, sideways or someone's going to get sideways with you. And guess what? The price that has to be paid or the pain that has to be endured in order to get through that, it's like, okay, I'm done. Because you didn't manage your expectations correctly. Or or you're sitting there, you're one of those people that are really, really hard on yourself, and you're sitting there, you're like, well, I want to do something for Jesus, I want to do something for Jesus, and you don't think you're doing anything for Jesus, and then things get tough, and you're like, it's really difficult, and times get hard, and you get put pressure on you, and all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not worth it, it's not working. And you know how many times I've talked to somebody... I mean, we used to go down to Pensacola Beach and stuff, and pass out tracks when I was in school. I can't tell you the amount of times I passed a track out to a Christian. And they said, oh, "I tried that for a while, right? I tried the church thing for a while. I tried the serving Jesus Christ thing for a while, but it just didn't work out." And a part of me now, I look back at that and I go, "Well, what if, what if you had the wrong expectations of what you were supposed to be? What if you had the wrong expectations of what you should have been in the time that you tried?" Right? And how do you know? Well, here in this verse, what we find out is that the first order of business, and it sometimes seems a little bit backwards, but he tells them that you're seated, that you are to sit with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. You're to sit down. You are to rest. You are to take a load off. You are to realize that everything in the Christian life is not due but rather everything in the Christian life is done. You understand? It's funny that he says that we're seated with Christ. That is a a statement that shows you your position in Jesus Christ, and that's a doctrinal position. You understand? None of you in here feel like you're in heaven right now, right? (laughs) But doctrinally, when you got saved... You are seated with Him in Christ in the heavenlies. You see that? That's where you are to be. That's what you have access to. That's where you are as, in good, you are as good in heaven tonight as you ever will be. You understand? There's a, part of me that's, there's a part of me that is residing and resting alongside of Jesus Christ right now. To get my mind wrapped around that is another story, Right? That's, I mean, if, you know, uh, you've heard it said before, if me and that other guy could switch places every now and again, that'd be really cool. Right? But the fact of the matter is, is you don't. (laughs) You don't get to. But doctrinally, I'm sitting with Jesus Christ and there's nothing that can change that. Now, why is that important? Well, if I'm with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ and I are seated in heavenly places, that means I am directly next to the source of everything that I need to get me through this life as a Christian. I am buddied right up next to Him. I can't get any closer to Him than I am. I can't get any more access to Him than what I have. Right? I can't, I can't, there's nothing that I can do to to better my relationship with with Him in the sense of I'm with Him right now. Right? And and not just so in heaven, but I know doctrinally I have Him inside of me. I have the Spirit residing inside of me. I'm bone of His bone. I'm flesh of His flesh. I couldn't get out of Him if I wanted to. Listen, I am so close to Jesus Christ right now. And so that means that I should be resting in the one that gives me everything that I need. He is the source of everything that I need to get me through the Christian life. Okay, so your position, this is a a position of peace. It's a position of peace. So oftentimes, uh, we... we, uh, we get flustered and we get frustrated and we get bent out of shape and everything else. And it's like, why is why is that exactly? If Jesus Christ could walk on the water and say, "Peace be still," and pull Jesus or pull Peter up out of the uh, the, the the waves that were crashing around him, then if that's the same Jesus, I'm seated right next to that guy. What have I to worry about? You see, He's the source of my peace. He's the source of my peace. He says, uh, he says that I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. He's the source of any power that I need. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, look in verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward, who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and set Him at His own right hand, look at this, in heavenly places. He hits it again. So all the power that, that resides in Jesus Christ, I have access to that power. Do you understand why it's so important to learn to sit first? Because if you don't learn how to sit, you know what you'll think? That your peace comes from something else. Or that your power comes from something else. Or that your provision comes from something else. You have to understand that as a Christian, as a Christian, when you get saved, the first thing that should be on your mind is I am no longer trusting in myself for anything. I could not trust in myself to get me saved. I could not trust in myself to wash my sins away. There was nothing I could do to help or advance my condition. And if, and if, and if uh, you know, John 3, 16, he, uh, uh, whosoever believed on him shall not perish but have everlasting life, Right? Right. If I'm if I, and you've heard the illustration, um, you know, I'm I'm I'm, you know, leaning on him. I'm, I have I have, uh, you know, I'm 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 sitting here. I know who he is. But there's a difference between believing in him and believing on him and all that kind of stuff. Well, if 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 rest or if sitting is the illustration of what a newborn Christian should do, then what does that illustrate to us? Every one of you right now are sitting down. You know what that means? You are trusting 100% that the pew that you're sitting in is going to hold you up. You're not using any physical strength of your own to hold yourself off of the ground right now. You are resting 100% in the pew in which you're sitting in. You are doing nothing of your own. And so many times, Christians, as Christians, what we do is we, we tend to feel like we need to do something in order to get more access to the Lord. That's a dangerous way of thinking. It's not just a dangerous way of thinking. It's a dangerous way of preaching that has been preached for a long time in Bible-believing circles. You understand? There's plenty of... Guys that believe the King James Bible is the Word of God that have preached and preached and preached and preached and preached, do this and 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 do this. this this. Well, how about this? How about doing nothing? How about doing nothing? You know what? I like it when new Christians come into church and stuff like that and they kind of have this mentality of, hey, what, what can I do around here? You know what the answer really is? Just relax. How about just enjoy Jesus for a little while how about how about you know I remember man I remember when I when I uh, uh, I, sh- I say when I first got saved when I first got saved man there was a lot of back and forth in my life but when I when I after I gotten saved and I really kind of gotten down to Bible college and that kind of thing uh, I was I, I was really starting to develop I didn't even know what a relationship with Jesus Christ was like so I was like this newborn Christian my first year of Bible college I was kind of like Fresh out of the womb, kind of thing. I was saved for a few years, but I didn't really know anything, right? And I remember just laying on my bed, man, just reading my Bible. And I'd be under, like, it's the same Bible I've got in the pulpit right now. I've had that Bible since I graduated high school. And, you know, I remember sitting I just laying on my bed, uh, on my stomach, reading my Bible. And I'd read 10 pages and then I'd read 20 pages and 30 pages and 40 pages and 50 pages. And I'd start, my goodness, what is this? And I remember I would just, I would put things, I would mark notes in my margin that literally was exactly what it said in the verse. But I was just shocked with what it said in the verse. And I wanted to make sure that I could tell myself again what it meant. I remember, listen, I remember reading through the Gospels and I, in my Bible right now, I've got a note that says, this is why I pray for my food. I was shocked. I was like, oh, that's it. Right? And, uh, you know, I just, it's just weird stuff, you know, and it's like, uh, oh, well, you just have to trust the Lord. And it's like that. Those are my marginal notes. And I had to, you know, it kind of, I wish I would have known before how had to put notes in my Bibles, because now I have to work around all those notes to put my other notes in. And so it gets a little bit jumbled. But you know what? Those things are precious to me because those were the times when I literally was like kind of just a sponge and just soaking up the things that were coming out of the book and I was soaking up the things that were coming out of the preaching. And the thing is, is that it's at that point in time where you should put the least amount of expectation on yourself. Just allow yourself to learn to relax and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand your position in Him, right? It's like a newborn baby; they can't walk right. About, right? I say, get out, right? You're working with your kids, and they, I mean, they're just like jelly. I mean, they're just bleh, 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 and their head is way too big and it's flopping all around and everything else. And you just lay them down, and they, I mean, no wonder they cry. They pro- they want to go, but they can't. They have, you know. They have a will to go, but to do it, they can't find the strength to do it. (laughs) So they cry. And then they get really, really good at, you know, moving their head around and supporting the weight of their head. And we still got videos. We watch videos every now and again. We'll be laying down in bed and we'll pull the phone out and go through the archives, you know. And here's Ellie. First time she sits up and she's sitting and she's, you know, you're kind of just like waiting for her to like fall backwards really slowly or go to the side really slowly, you know. But she's just trying to, she's like focused on on keeping her head level, you know? And you're like, when did you get to sit up? You know? And then they're laying down and and they're they're trying to roll over and they're kicking their legs and they're squirming their arms and they're finally all of a sudden, they just, they roll over for the first time and it's a big deal. You know what babies get good at right away? (laughs) Just laying there. Right? What is the first thing they do when a baby comes out? <laughs> Spank it. This guy. You're a hardcore man. <laughs> just whoop it before it even gets in there, man. <laughs> you place that baby on its mother's chest and you just let it sit there. Because there's a connection that takes place with that baby and that mother from the minute they're born and they start, and they start developing a relationship one with another and that's the relationship where they know they go to her for sustenance. They know that they go to her for strength. They know what, that they know that she's there to comfort them. It's the mom. It's the mom. It's the mom. Well, it's no different with you and I. We need to learn how to rest and enjoy being saved. You understand? Sometimes I fear that our world and our churches move too fast, and we lose sight of the peace and the joy and the happiness that just comes. From getting a chance to get close to Jesus Christ. I don't want my life to get that fast. Right? I just don't. I, I, I'd like to be able to, you know, have a little bit of that at all times. It's the, it's the difference between Mary and Martha. Right? Here's Mary and what's she doing? She's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Right where she should be. Getting what she's supposed to be getting. And it's those moments of sitting that start to work the strength to even start thinking about walking. You understand? Those moments where you can't walk and all you can do is sit and rest are so important to the development of that child. There's no way to to speed that up, nor should you try. You should let them develop at their pace, right? That child needs to be able to lay down and take naps. And and, uh, you shouldn't have an expectation on that child to do the dishes at, you know, two, three months old. Right? You know what that baby should be doing? Sleeping and eating. That's what that baby should be doing. Sleeping and eating. You say, what should some of you be doing? Sleeping and eating in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that should come to your mind. Not just that, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, look in verse uh, number 10. Ephesians chapter 2, look in verse 10. For we are His workmanship. Amen. He made us. We are created in Christ Jesus, look at this, unto good works. Said every preacher that wants to preach how to get you to do more work, 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 work. They all quote it. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Right? But what did he say before that? That we're seated with Him in heavenly places. Okay, the rest of the verse says, Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We see the second, we see the second evolution or the second uh, uh, step of maturity in the life of a Christian. And uh, that is to serve. That is to serve. That is, okay, uh, uh, we use the word interchangeably here. I say, I say serve for the sake of three S's because I like to alliterate stuff. But the, the, the biblical word in Ephesians is to walk, to walk in them. He says it again in Ephesians chapter number 4. You'll get a little bit more light on it. Ephesians chapter 4, look in verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation... Okay, wherewith ye are called. He calls it a vocation. What is that? It's a lifetime calling. It doesn't end. That's, a, that's something that, that uh, is with you uh, for the rest of your life. Okay, and he says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Look in verse 17 of the same chapter. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. We'll get a couple more. Ephesians chapter 5, look in verse 2. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He tells you to walk worthy of the vocation. He tells you not to walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. He tells you to walk in love. Uh, In uh, verse 8 of the same chapter, he says, For you were sometimes in darkness, but now are ye light. Walk as children of the light. Walk in the light. And then in verse 15, the last time he says it here, verse 15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, you want a cross-reference for this to give us a little bit of light on what he's talking about when he says the word walk. Take your Bibles and uh, go over to, um, let's see here, I think it's uh, Philippians. Let's see here. looks like I didn't write write my cross-reference down. This is how good I am at this. Oh, never mind. It's Colossians. That's what it is. Colossians. I did write it down. Colossians chapter 4. Excuse me. Colossians chapter 4. Here's a cross-reference. Give us a little bit more light on it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, Walk in wisdom. Toward them that are without, redeeming the time. What does he tell you to do in Ephesians uh, chapter five, uh, in verse fifteen? He tells you, um, he tells you, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And he says, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. You know what he told you? He says, he says, you walk in wisdom to those who are without. So what is this walking referencing? Okay, we're created unto good works that we should should walk in them. So what is it that he's trying to tell us? Is he trying to tell us that every single one of us in here should have some great ministry and that we should, you know, have some kind of a title and we should have some kind of a calling and da-da-da-da-da and this is what we should have? Well, based on these verses, I don't think so. What is it that, it, what does it mean? Sometimes I've struggled in my own life to answer the question, okay, what does doing something for Jesus Christ look like? Anybody ever told you that before? You just need to do something for Jesus Christ. You need to get busy for Jesus Christ. You need to, you, need to, you know, whatever, make it count for Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I need to do what you're doing? Does that mean I need to like go home and scratch my head and think of something? Does that mean that I need to bring something to fruition? What does that mean? Well, if we're talking about being created unto good works, he attaches it to walking. And then when he attaches it to walking, he gives us a couple parameters there. He tells us to not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of our mind. It tells us to not be earthly-minded, in the sense of you know, uh, uh, and, and and being attracted to all the vain things and that kind of thing. Don't let that be your motivation, okay? But then he says to walk in wisdom to those who are without. What it is connected to is your conduct as a Christian in the eyes of other people. That is your service. You understand? It is connected to your conduct in the eyes of those around you. He tells you again at the, in, the, in, the, in the last verse there, in verse 15 of chapter 5, when he tells you to walk circumspectly. What is that? Being aware of your surroundings, of the people around you, looking at you. They're observing how you're living. They're observing how you're walking. They're observing how you're talking. Okay, so how do I walk? How do I walk? Well, I think of it as the most plain thing in the world, right? If I was trying to figure out how to serve Jesus Christ, okay, I'm saved. Do you realize the importance of not getting serving in front of sitting? Because if you don't get really good at sitting first, you are going to think that your service for God gets you closer to Him and gains you favor with Him. Say, how do you know that? You ever met somebody who does a lot of service for the Lord? And then they get mad at people who aren't doing what they're doing? Why is that? You want to know why that is? They're not serving from the right foundation. If service comes before sitting, you will serve on a weak foundation that will be disrupted by the actions of others. And then eventually, you will get mad, and you will get bitter, and you will quit. Sitting has to come before serving. But you say, okay, I've been getting good at sitting. You know what? I love it how because it's cyclical. As I sit, and as the Lord puts some things in me, and as the Lord starts to you know, uh, work some things in my life and help me with some things... I know this, that uh, the Bible tells me uh, that I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. You understand? That's what he tells me. But he says in the next verse that Jesus Christ is working in me those things. That's in Philippians. That's where I was getting uh, crossed up. Right? Right? And in doing so, what you have to understand that whatever the Lord is working in me in the time in which I'm sitting with him, I then work it out in my daily life as the Lord works it in, in my personal life between me and him when we're sitting together. That is the natural progress of how service starts. Well, how do I know where, uh, how do I let the Lord dictate my steps? Where does your steps take you every day? All of you in here had a schedule today, I hope. Some of you in here don't have a schedule. Maybe you should get a schedule. I don't know. I'm just saying. Every, everybody in here has stuff they did today. You know what happened? Hopefully you don't have zero steps on your uh, you know, little step counter thing. Okay? Hopefully you got up and did something and your feet took you somewhere. Well, if that's the case, the rule of thumb that I can think of is if I'm going to serve the Lord, that means that as I'm sitting with the Lord, right, He is working on me. He's instilling things in me. And that is bubbling the joy up inside of me. That's, bubbling, that's, that's, that's solidifying my love towards Him. That's showing me His expectations for me in my life. And now as I walk throughout my day, it is now up to me to act like He wants me to act as I'm walking throughout my life. You say, what is that? That is serving Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. That's doing something for Jesus Christ. That's making your life count for Jesus Christ. You say what? Not hitting the snooze button and getting up in the morning and going to work? You understand? What is that? That's serving Jesus Christ. If what? If you live a Christian life at work. Is that that connecting with everybody? Listen, mom, you get up in the morning and, and the kids are going, and you got to get the kids here and you got to put the kids there, and, and uh, you know, or you got stuff to do, and you got grocery shopping to do, and you got to clean the house, and you got your little to do list that you're working on. You say, What is that? That's you serving God. That's you serving. That's you doing something for Jesus Christ as you walk throughout your day. That's what that is. So many times I feel like we get it jumbled in our, in our minds that doing something for the Lord Jesus Christ means that I am like going out of my way and doing something special for Him that's out of my norm. That's not the case. That's not the case. If that's the case, is everybody in here going to have a position in the church? I've been in churches... That have that mentality. Those are some of the most miserable people that sit in pews, are people that think they have to have titles in order to serve God. But guess what? That mentality is fostered by an attitude of you gotta serve them, you gotta serve them, you gotta serve them, you gotta serve him. him." Can we have some clarification on what that means? You know what it means? You get up in the morning, you go to work, and be the best at your job. Right? You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal. Right? Take your Bible to work. Let them see you read it at your lunch break or something like that. If you get an opportunity to witness, somebody asks you a question, do it. You know, but be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. You don't want to be the jack wagon walking around and and it's like, oh, whatever. I can't, you know, that guy's not a normal person or whatever. You can still be a normal person and witness for Jesus. You understand me? You can, listen, Mom, you can, you can raise your kids in nurture and admonition of the Lord and pray for them and, and try to keep things up at the house. And, or some of you ladies, you have jobs and that kind of thing. Same thing applies to you. you got responsibilities that you do. Make sure your responsibilities are taken care of. Make sure you're getting the, the, the little things that you're supposed to get done, done. And work on your attitude. And work on your thankfulness. And your smile. You know, And if the Lord, you know, gives you the opportunity to talk with somebody, you know, maybe, you know, just give them a gospel track. Say, what are you doing? You're serving Jesus Christ. I'll never forget a conversation I had with my wife several years ago at youth camp. And the kids were really little at the time. And she's running around with her head cut off and everything else. And she's frustrated. And she said, I don't even know why I'm here. She starts crying. I don't even know why I'm here. You know, I'm not doing anything here. And I thought to myself, you're doing a whole lot. Every one of those teenage girls that were there saw her doing that. You know, every one of those moms or whatever, soon to be moms or whatever, they saw her doing that. You know what they do? They look up to her now. They do. She was being an example to people of how she was raising her kids. You see that, Mom? Take that, take that one to take that one to heart. You say, what is that? She was serving Jesus Christ right in the middle. She didn't think she was at the time. You know what? We just got done camp this year. There was a one of our counselors from another church, uh, good friends of ours, and um, his, they were getting ready to go. I was shaking his hand and shaking her hand and thank, thanking them for coming and everything and. You know, she's like, yeah, I didn't really do much. I was just corralling these kids around all week. And I remember that. And I said, no, sis. I said, you're an example to every one of the girls that you brought down here from your church. And they see you and they see your kids and they see how your kids are acting. They see your demeanor with them and they see the sacrifices that you're making. And they're not getting, a, they're getting a, a, an actual view of what motherhood should look like. You're not trying to be a teenager anymore. You're not trying to, you know, uh, be all the teens' best friend. You're being a mom and you're being an example. And I said, Jesus Christ is all over that. And she started to cry. And her husband was there and he put his arm around her. And she said, I really appreciate you telling me that. Because I know what happens. You get frustrated. I'm not doing anything. Maybe you're doing more than you think. Maybe you're doing more than you think. Listen, man, I'm sorry. I, I'm to the point, I just like to take some pressure off of folks. Because this world we live in puts enough pressure on you to do, 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 do. And the, and, and, the, and the reverberating answer from the cross is it's done, it's done, it's done. And there's a lot of Christians that if they stopped doing what they were doing today, they would think they failed God. Because they never learned how to sit first. Listen. Service cannot be forced, nor should it be forced. If you have to be forced to serve, you don't want to serve. And God's like, okay, fine, don't. You're saved. He's, he's not holding a gun to your head. That's a choice He allows you to have. He he tells you what's going to happen. He says, there's a judgment seat. You're going to be be getting wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones, whatever you do in the body, whatever, you have it. Your choice, man, your choice. As far as we're concerned, we're good. It can't get any better. Okay? We're good. But, don't you want to do something for Him? shouldn't be forced. It shouldn't be fabricated. You say, what is that? Sitting at home, oh, what can, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? I've seen a lot of people fabricate ministries out of thin air. And they get all excited about something. And then they start it. And then they never finish it. And then they start it. And they never finish it. And then they start it. And they never finish it. They can't be faithful. Why is that? you're so bent on trying to serve the lord in some capacity that you don't even realize the capacity that you should be serving him in i've talked to young missionaries and they're just bent to getting out to the field and everything else and i mean they've never even held a job before now i'm not saying that they're not called i can't say that god's not in it i can't say that because they say god is so i'm not going to argue with them but the truth of the matter is I've had people in my ministry, I remember having my tail tucked between my legs, thinking I was the biggest failure ever, and they called me on the phone, and they said, well, what are you doing for Jesus now? You don't have your title anymore. You're a nobody. What are you doing for the Lord? And I said, I'm raising my family. I'm holding the job down. Trying to, trying to do whatever the Lord puts in my hands to do. Right? There was a time in my life I had to resolve to the fact that that may be the only thing God wants me to do. You know? And be like, that's all right. That's okay. You say, how do I find out what I'm, how I'm supposed to serve the Lord? Here's just a couple things. Maybe just jot them down. Okay? First and foremost, just your normal life. First and foremost, how do I find out what I should do to serve the Lord? Just your normal life? In your normal life, are you living a Christian life in, in just the norm that is your regular day? You're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're you know, going to work on time, doing the things you're supposed to do. I mean, Brother Ben just come in from the back, he's working. You say, well, I commend him. It's 7.58. He could have went to his apartment just down the road and said, I'm I'm done for the day. Brother, I've been there. I've been on call. I've worked worked for oxygen and been on call for for weeks and weeks on time, having delivered oxygen and everything else and try to balance church with that thing. It's commendable that it's 8 o'clock and you still come to catch the last 10, 15 minutes of the message. You say, what's he trying to do? In his normal life, trying to serve God. He was serving God, working for Element Energy today. In your normal life. Number two, how do I serve the Lord? How do I find out what I'm supposed to do? Let it come naturally. Don't force it. If something's going to come your way, let it come naturally. Let it find you, not you find it. Does that make sense? Sometimes, Listen. There's been been opportunities that have arisen in my life that just naturally came. I didn't force it. I didn't go looking for it. There was a time where I thought I was going to be a great evangelist. This is embarrassing to tell you. But I had prayer cards made up. I I had envelopes with stamps. I went and bought stamps. You know, and wrote, and found every Bible-believing preacher I could think of. And I, was, I packed all them envelopes full. And I had a letter for each one of them envelopes. And I was ready to send those things in the mail. And I was going to get some meetings. And God was going to bless my evangelistic ministry. You know what I did? I was listening to B.R. Lakin preach one time. And he says, I've never asked for a meeting. And I've never been without a pulpit to preach in. And I took every one of those letters and I threw them in the trash. You want to know why? I was trying to do it. And I thought to myself, even if I got some meetings, I couldn't go to those meetings knowing it was God that got me there. I'd have to know that it was me that got me there, and maybe I'm not the guy that's supposed to be there. Right? I wasn't letting it come to me. But then there's been some other things where I just get a phone call out of the blue, and they're like, brother, listen... I just got a, recently I'm going to go up north to preach a meeting here in a a month or two. And uh, and I got a phone call out of the blue from a guy. And he said, brother, I want you to come preach this meeting for me. And I'm blown away. I'm like, how in the world? (laughs) Why would you even ask me to come preach this thing? I thought that I was recommended by a certain preacher. So I called that preacher up, got with that preacher. I said, did you set this up? 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 He finally got sick of me asking. He said, I didn't set it up. Say, why would you do that? I wanted to know that was God telling that preacher to have me come up, not somebody else just trying to throw me a bone. Right? Let it come to you naturally. Don't go searching for it. Because you may find something you shouldn't find. The most miserable people are doing ministries that they were never called to do. They're doing ministries that they found to do. Okay? And then lastly, let it be through your normal life. Let it come to you naturally. And then sometimes the Lord, He'll just nudge you. He'll just nudge you in a certain way. And He has a funny way of nudging you. You know what I'm saying? You kind of put it on your heart and you be thinking about it and praying about it. And Lord, I don't know if this is you. And be real skeptical as you pray about it. Because I know what people do. say, Lord's nudging me. Lord's nudging me. Right? The Lord's got a way of nudging you. And giving you, letting you see that crack in the open door. And you just push on it a little bit. And, you know, kind of pull a, you know, throw a fleece or two. And Lord, He has, this, he has a way of nudging you into certain things. And that's Okay. But when you, if you're thinking that the Lord's nudging you in a certain way, make it hard. Listen, listen. I was told that if you can be happy doing anything else other than preaching or having some ministry, do that. Do that. If you can be happy... And go work a job and do whatever it is you're supposed to do. And and it's not tearing you up to be a missionary or preacher or da-da-da-da-da. Like, you just do that thing. Until the Lord makes it real evident that you're not supposed to do that thing. You understand? Well, The last thing that you want is to be in a situation where you're not called in and you're not supposed to be in. And guess what? That's the hardest service there is. And not only will you suffer, your family will suffer, and the people you're trying to minister to, they will suffer. And it will hurt your reputation and your testimony when you become the person that starts and stops and starts and stops and starts and stops and you don't have any, uh, any stability in your life. And listen, ministerial instability is hard to overcome in the eyes of the brethren if you're worried about what people think about you. Well, I'd be worried about starting a ministry and stopping it and starting it and stopping it and starting it and stopping it. Because, you know what? You're going to go up to a preacher and say, well, I'm called to do this. Like, well, whatever, man. You've been called four or five other times. Right? You know, I'll just give you this and we'll go. We'll be done. The last one is stand. Right? He tells you that in Ephesians chapter 6. Right? put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Right? And having done all, stand. Again... Sometimes we put the stand part on Christians that are supposed to be sitting. You have to understand the spiritual maturity and the progression through this as we see in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 is where standing comes in. That's when we put on the armor of God. That's when we have the discipline. That's when we have the strength to stand. Standing takes an element of strength. Right? You don't gain strength by sitting. In the, in the physical sense, you'll, you'll gain strength to, to, to get enough strength to walk. But movement and, 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 and exercise, that produces strength to stand. You understand? So if you try to stand before you can walk, you are going to fall. You ever seen a Christian, a new Christian? And they get really on fire for the Lord and they're gung-ho and they want Bible, 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 Bible. And just give it to me every left way and which way from Sunday. I want as much Bible as you can give me. Give me every book, every every tape, give me every CD, every sermon, whatever I can take. I'm going to ingest this thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, And now all of a sudden they have really hard stands on things. And they're trying to act like they're more spiritually mature than they are. And you know what ends up happening? Every wind of doctrine. Boom. Gone. See you later. Bye. Why? We messed up the natural progression of the way things are supposed to be. What are we supposed to stand against? We're supposed to stand against the government. No. I'm supposed to take a stand for what's right. You sure about that? when the Bible tells you to suffer yourself to be defrauded, you know that you can be right and still be wrong defending yourself being right. You know that, right? <laughs> it's not just about you being right. If you, if, you, if you stand every time you think someone's doing you wrong and you're in the right, you're going to be a miserable person and drive a lot of people away. The Bible tells you to let yourself be run over sometimes. Suffer yourself to be defrauded. Let people talk bad about you, so on and so forth. Rather, you suffer loss. You say, what are you supposed to stand for? The attacks of the devil. He told you. The attacks of the devil. What are those attacks attempting to do? Move you from the position that you are currently in. It is not a stand. It is not a warfare. It's not a conflict that is to take more ground. It's a conflict to keep the ground in which you already victoriously are standing on. You're not pushing anything forward. You're just holding the line. And there's going to be things in your life that come up and storms that come up and there's going, to be, there's going to be adversaries that come up. The world, the flesh, and the devil is going to blow its gusts and gales against you and the fiery darts are going to fly. You say, what are they trying to do? Quit, make you stop walking and make you stop sitting. They want to move you from the position you're supposed to be in. They want to get you to turn tail and run and go back Standing takes an element of strength, and standing is something that you need to learn to do in time, as you walk more. And things will come up in your life, and you say, "How do they come up?" It may not be, "Oh, it's like this is just a, this is just you know the devil, right?" You don't, you may not even know it. It may just be life. It may just be a situation in your life, and all of a sudden, there's a voice that comes and says. Why is this happening to you? Look at all you've sacrificed. Look at all you've done. And this is how he treats you. You say, what is that? That's the devil capitalizing on a situation that would have happened because it's just life happens, folks. Not every bad thing that happens in your life is the devil. But sometimes the thoughts that are generated in your head come from the devil. Right? Well, how come this is happening to me? And how come this is going on and I just can't take anymore and oh here's another thing that's happened and it's just like the stream of bad news it just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming and I just and the devil says why is this happening to you what's this going on and, and don't you think that you know if God really cared about you this wouldn't happen and oh my goodness and all of a sudden you start getting bitter and you start getting angry and you start looking at your circumstances and your situations and you know what ends up happening you move from your position and now your walk is wrong. And now you're not sitting anymore. And you're not getting that fellowship. And, you're not, and you've now been removed from the source of your power and your strength. And your peace and your provision. And now you're in no man's land. And now you're really setting yourself up for a problem. Right? And you say, well, what do you do if you have a Christian that's uh, not strong enough to stand yet? That's where, you, that's where we come in as a body of believers. You help one another. You look out for the weaker brethren. That's why he tells us so much to walk circumspectly. Mindful of our weaker brethren that we wouldn't do anything. Set a stumbling block in front of them because we know that they're prone to falling. Even though, you ever seen a kid walk and, and, and stuff like that? They're like, ah, and they're just like, and you're just, they're a ticking time bomb before they fall. They're not even good at standing yet, man. And they're, they're running. They don't have the power in their legs to be able to steady themselves and just stand back up from being in movement. You know, it takes a special kind of strength and it takes a special kind of agility to run and then stop and have the strength to then stand in a position. That takes strength. That takes lateral movement. That takes a bunch of different mechanics for you to be able to do that. And some Christians, they don't have it yet. And you know what you got to do? You got to be there to help them. I'll give you this illustration. We'll take prayer requests. This process is, is is outlined in the Bible. Here's Moses, right? He's forty years in the desert, burning bush, by himself, just figuring stuff out. Here's Paul, right? Saved, three years, three and a half years, just him and the Lord. Communion back and forth. That's where he saw his revelations. That's where he got all, that's where he got all of his stuff that he was started to preach. Moses is no different. He goes up in the wilderness. He, he gets a, the word from the Lord, and then he goes back to Egypt. And he starts walking. He starts doing his thing. And, and in the process of time, you know what happens? There's this rod that gets placed in Moses' hand. And he's just doing whatever comes to him, right? Lord said, hey, go, go, in, front of, go in front of Pharaoh. It's like, okay, you know. Well, tell them you know you're gonna you know turn the water to blood, and uh, take that rod in your hand and wave it around in the sky, and all of a sudden the water turns to blood, right? And then he says, well, why don't we go ahead and uh, you know get some frogs, you know? And what happens? Waves that rod, frogs come out. Takes the dust. Takes that rod, lice. He takes it and waves it in the sky and hail comes down. Takes that rod, waves it around. Locusts come. You say, what's he doing? He's just walking. He's learning how to use the rod that God gives him in his hand to use. You say, what do you, how do you serve the Lord? Whatever's in your hand right now. Back there in Exodus chapter 4, you know what the Lord tells Moses? He says, that rod in your hand there, just use it. Right? He'd already been 40 years in the desert. Now he's ready to go. And so as he walks, the advice that God gives Moses is just use what's in your hand. Right? You want to serve the Lord? Use what's in your life right now. Going to work, doing your thing, normal stuff. And you know what will happen is you'll start learning how to use that rod. And the Lord will start doing things as you're walking with Him. You're going to see some things. You're going to see God do some things. And you know what's going to happen all of a sudden? He's going to take you all the way up to the precipice of the Red Sea. And you're going to be like, wait a second. Hold on. This is different. Now there's an obstacle in front of me that is trying to stop me from doing what I think God wants me to do. And there's an enemy behind me and I'm in trouble. And it's at that point, it's at that point, Moses has to learn to stand out in front of them, that group of people and take that rod and hit the ground and see that sea part. You say, what is that? That's a process in Moses' life. It's a process that happens in our life. And after he gets over that sea, you know what else? Now... Now there's conflict. Now there's battle. Now there's an enemy involved. And you know what he says? Joshua, you go fight. I got to go up here to the mount. You're going to go fight Amalek, and I'm going to take this rod up there with me. But I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need an Aaron, and I'm going to need a her to keep my hands up. Because if this rod goes down, we're going to lose. But if I can keep this rod up, we'll win. You see? And you know what he had to learn? He had to learn how to stand there. Moses didn't physically fight that battle. He couldn't have done that unless he had first spent 40 years in the desert. Moses could have never stood there and won the battle with Amalek if he hadn't seen the Lord use that rod and change it from a serpent back into a rod and seen the lice and seen the water to blood and seen all that stuff. He, unless he had walked with the Lord long enough to see him do that, he would have never had the strength and the the ability to stand at the precipice of the Red Sea and see that thing part and watch the deliverance that God makes. You say, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to take the pressure off you tonight. I'm trying to tell you, just let God develop you in His time and when it comes time to part the Red Sea in your life and when it comes time to defeat the battle of Amalek in your life, God will put who He needs to put in your life and God will give you the strength. Just do what you're supposed to do today Allow yourself to learn to sit. Allow yourself to learn to rest because there's going to come times where, guess what, the battle's going to be hot and you know what the time is? What happened to Moses? He had been standing and standing and standing and then you know what happens? He says, God, is there a place by you for me that I can just rest a while? I beseech you, Lord, show me that glory. You know what the Lord has to do later in Moses' ministry? They say, hey, Moses, there's a place by me. You just come rest a while. You remember how it was back in the desert? Because your life is going to be a cycle of learning how to sit and learning how to walk and learning how to stand. And that's the Christian life, folks. Don't get ahead of yourself and don't get ahead of God. Allow it to happen naturally, and you'll see what God does in your life. All right? Lord, thank you for tonight. Real simple stuff. I pray that it was a blessing and a help. And I pray that you bless the prayer service to follow here tonight. We love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. With that said, we'll go ahead and start taking prayer.